This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Every year, millions of people go into the woods to hunt ducks, and about 86% of them don't wear hearing protection. On this episode, we're going to dig in deep to the question, how dangerous is duck hunting for your hearing? Hey, this is George back with the New Hunter's Guide, the podcast and YouTube channel, helping new hunters get started and bringing new insights to all hunters. Today, guys, we are diving headlong into the question, how dangerous is duck hunting for your hearing? Now, I know a little bit about the topic. I, I could I could go at it from a, a lot of the general bases, but at the end of the day, I'm not that kind of doctor. So I have invited to be with us today my good friend, doctor of audiology, Bill Dickinson, who is also the founder of Tetra Hearing, the company that I think is doing the most out of any other company going to help hunters preserve and restore their hearing. And we're going to dive into this subject and give you guys in some insight that I don't know that you could get anywhere else. And I say that because I looked to see if I could find it anywhere else and I couldn't. So I was like, all right, we, we need to do this. We got to crack this thing wide open. So Bill, thank you so much, sir, for being here today. It's an honor. Just always great to have you on the show. Oh, George, this is, uh, this is a great way to kick off the fall hunting season is to, to start it off with you. And, uh, man, I don't know what coffee you drink in the morning, but I definitely got to switch over to it because uh, your, your energy is always infectious, my friend. So, oh, that's my favorite part. <laughs> Just the zeal and the passion and the fun of doing it. Uh, it's awesome stuff. But Bill, you know, you, you're, uh, you know, your credentials speak for themselves, but of course you're a duck hunter. You've been hunting ducks for a few years, right? How long, how long have you been at it? You know, boy, that's a heck of a good question. I, I can't, I, I can't remember. Uh, it's, it's the first type of hunting I ever did, uh, with my dad and granddaddy. And, um, 
I can't remember. I mean, I don't have, you know, back then we didn't take a million pictures every day on our phones. And so, uh, I don't remember a, a day I had to be in that five, six year old age. Um, I remember I wasn't toting a gun. That's for dang sure. <laughs> there was many years where, uh, they would, they oh, would yeah. get me out there in the canoe and they'd find a muskrat house for me to sit up on top of Well. Well, they set up, you know, a, a dozen, a dozen little simple decoys, and we get back in the cattails up on Saginaw Bay, bottom of Lake Huron. And uh, man, I just, I, I thought, I thought growing up, every, I, I didn't know any difference other than shooting mixed bags. There'd be divers, there'd be big ducks, there'd be little ducks. It was, uh, you know, a duck was a duck was a duck, and. Um, and man, that's really not like that in a lot of places in the country. Uh, we got a chance to shoot a, a redhead or a canvas back as much as you do a, a, a mallard or a gadwell. But Oh, yeah, that's awesome. So you've been at this for a while. You've been a, a professional in the, uh, in, in the hearing health industry for your entire life. So I think you are uniquely qualified today to, to speak to this particular topic and, and bring in the practical as well as the medical to, to help people understand, you know, what they're facing and, and what they're dealing with. And uh, I want to set it up like this. All right. I, I know a lot of people hunt a lot of stuff and, you know, some people, they go out and they hunt deer and they take, you know, one shot per year and they're not wearing hearing protection. And, and we can talk about that and, and the impact of that some, but then people go out waterfowl hunting and, you know, and a good day in the, in the core part of the season where I hunt, at least, you could take, uh, you know, six of your, your choice ducks. You can take five or six geese and you can take another dozen or so other various assorted divers and other birds. But on a good day, you probably are shooting 15 20 times maybe and, and from my anecdotal data and experience the average hunter is is successful on about 30 percent of their shots so if you take a limit of six birds you're probably shooting 18 to 20 times and uh, then maybe you're out there with one of your buddies or two of your buddies so then how many shots are getting fired there so I think there's a lot that's going on that the average duck hunter isn't thinking about and so uh, with that sort of a backdrop to the volume of shooting that goes into waterfowl hunting, which uh, is, is on the higher end of the spectrum of all hunting sports, uh, Bill, what, what kind of impact does that cause, um, you know, short-term, mid-term, long-term? Um, I don't know how to how to break into it any from any better position than that, so I'll just hand <laughs> you the microphone. Well, you teed it up pretty good, George. Um you know, it's, uh, it's kind of the road you were going down. It, it really is. Um, and I haven't thought about it till you kind of spread it out like that. It, it, it's duck hunting or waterfall hunting in general is you could, if you had one descriptor for it, you, it, it could be, it's a numbers game, right? I mean, uh, we're, we're dealing with lots of numbers, yep. hopefully, right? You see lots of birds, you got to have lots of decoys. <laughs> you got to have, it's more than typically more than one. Not a whole lot of people are hardcore enough uh, to just go out by yourself. Like we're so willing to do as deer hunters. Um, you get to shoot, you get to shoot multiple, you get the most days to hunt. And th this is the stuff that, you know, it all kind of, 
adds up. It is a, it is a sum of the parts in the end because, you know, you get 60 days to hunt them. And especially if you, if you kind of chase the migration and you cross some state lines, you typically squeak in another, uh, you know, another, you know, 20, maybe 30 days. Um, it's the most amount of shooting. It's the highest bag limits. And you're typically doing it uh, with a group of people. And so ev- everything that you talked about and that we just kind of run through is that duck hunting is really, at the end of the day, a big numbers game. And, um, and unfortunately, some of those, those numbers don't necessarily turn out in our favor from a, from a health aspect, when it, certainly when it comes to, comes to hearing. And um, I guess you could, you could, you could kind of rank order all the culprits that are out there from some of the things that we just talked about. The most amount of days, highest, uh, highest bag limits, most amount of shooting. Uh, you're hunting with some pretty good waterfallers if they're, if they're averaging that 30%. That's pretty good. I think, I think it can be a lot lower than that sometimes. I've seen it on some hunts. And, oh, yeah. Um, it's good for the ammo companies, right? Uh, Real good. I've always had some, you know, we're pretty good friends with the boys over here at Apex Ammo. And uh, we always kind of go back and forth on you know or i could there's almost a little bit of a, a tetra a, a tetra you know apex some of their their high premium shot shells and it would uh it could be more like you know kill more shoot less and uh and so it could be you know there's there's less chances of anything damaging your ear if you have a more lethal shot and um and those guys are, they, I always get them riled up and they say, well, we, we love the idea of it, but we don't necessarily want to say that you need, that you need to buy less Apex ammo. So, uh, <laughs> so they're <laughs> looking at it business. both ways. Anyway, the two big culprits, uh, and, and I think one is very known uh, for what's most damaging to our ears as, as waterfall hunters uh, is, is, is the firearm, right? Uh, most often a 12 gauge, although that's changed an awful lot lately. But as far as the bang go, it really doesn't matter if you're shooting uh, the 12 gauge or if you're shooting, you know, some of the the sub gauges. Um, they can be absolutely equally as loud between a 12 and a 20 gauge. But um, everyone wants to worry about the, the about the shotgun going off and about all the shooting. And um, and here's one of the one of the big kind of unknown factors of, of hearing loss uh, or hearing damage that goes along with, uh, with waterfall hunting. And that's absolutely, um, it's all the calling that goes on. And a lot depends on what type of hunting you typically do and where you're hunting and, and how hard you really need to get on them and how, how often you need to blow that call. But for the most part, especially in, more wide open or in today's world as we all know it seems like there's more competition for a lot of those you know premium duck spots and everyone equates that i'm a duck hunter if i can blow a call right uh or maybe it's a kind of a barrier to entry i i, I really i don't think i'll be a very good duck hunter because i don't know how to blow a call very well and but the bottom line is that wailing on that call it's typically done four, five, six times in terms of uh, of the duration of the hunt, 
uh, you're you're exposed to the loudness of that call much more often than you're exposed to uh, to the gun blast. And I think we've talked about this on uh, on an earlier one earlier show with you, but when we look at how the ear becomes damaged from noise from sound, uh, it's you're we're always looking at the difference between duration and intensity. How long are you exposed to it and how loud is the sound? And you, we all know a gun blast is a very, very short duration, but it's got a very, very high intensity. And so it's you could have, you know, two or three shots could be as equally damaging to the inner ear as 75 or 90 minutes or two hours of continual calling by the time you add up all the time that that call is on your lips in today's calls they're they're just making some unbelievably awesome starting with the materials but the shape and the acoustics and a lot of what what makes them so different than the calls that i certainly grew up with sitting on that muskrat house is is the volume behind them and how loud you can make them and some of it's all the different acrylics that they have and all the different exotic woods that they use. Um, but it's it certainly, and we just know a whole lot more of what we can do from uh, from turning a hard piece of acrylic into a, a fine-tuned musical instrument. But you could put some numbers on it. It's not hard at all uh, to be blowing a call above 120, 122 decibels or where it's peaking at 126 decibels. And... You know, the magic number of safe is 85. Once you start getting above 85, you have to start restricting the amount of time that you're exposed to noise above 80, you know, starting around 90 decibels. And so you kind of think back on a couple of last year's hunts, George, and uh, whether you were calling or there was a group of guys calling or you're standing next to the primary, kind of the pit boss, the caller who's just absolutely wailing on them. And chances are there's a whole lot more calling than uh, than there was gun shooting, right? And um, that's that's really the biggest oh, thing yeah. that 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 kind of kills us. When in 2018, when David and I were making some of the early measurements uh, before we launched the company in 2019, we did nine different studies, and. Um, and they're called dosimeter studies. And dosimeter is just a very, very high-end, fancy microphone that measures uh, measures sound. It's used most often in occupational workplace. And it's it's how we measure workers' safety and, you know, when they need to be part of a, a noise management program by OSHA and all that kind of stuff. And so we put these dosimeters on the collar. We try to get as close to the ear as possible on nine different studies in what you're allowed as a, as a, as a worker as defined by OSHA, you're allowed a certain amount of noise every day and then every week and then every month and then kind of every year. And so we were looking at the, the weekly allowable noise level. And what was interesting in these nine little hunts that we were on that in all nine hunts, you you as the caller and the shooter exceeded your safe weekly noise level somewhere between 17 and 42 minutes 
in the duck hunts that we participated in. And so the longest that went was 42 wow. minutes. The, the, the earliest one, and man, that was a that was a barrel burner from right at the beginning of shooting light, right? Uh, and and but between the little bit of calling and the whole lot of shooting in those first 17 minutes, that the person wearing that that dosimeter measuring that sound had already hit their weekly noise allowance. If you were a if you were a worker in a factory that just hit those limits on Tuesday afternoon, they would send you home or put you in a quieter workplace for the rest of the week, or at least they should in order to be, to be protecting the employee's ears. Right. The longest that it went, George was 42 minutes. And that just, that was very, very eye opening. even though I knew it wasn't good. That was the first time of a study can't call it a study. We didn't have a whole lot of controlled variables, but of at least a sound study where we are, you know, collecting how much sound that those ears are being exposed to uh, very, very quickly into a hunt. And the majority of the noise that they that those hunters are being exposed to was was the calling. So forty two minutes into the hunt, they'd already hit the maximum noise allowance for the week. And then, of course, n- nobody went home after that 42 minutes, right? That was just the beginning of the hunt and the beginning Heck of the no. week. Uh, on, on two or three of those hunts, uh, it was all calling. There wasn't any shooting yet. And, and those were the longer ones. So on, on, the, on the longest one, it was, uh, it was a whole bunch of, you're hunting a big, a big wide open slough, and there were traveling birds all over the place. And we had guys that loved to blow calls. And, uh, you know, they get on get on those highballs and try to turn turn ducks that they see a whole long ways away. And sometimes it works. Uh, often it doesn't, but sometimes it does work. And you can turn a big flock. It seems like a half mile away, but I kind of think those birds wanted to turn anyway. So I'm not quite sure it was the three highballs that were going off. So I just ran some quick numbers here, just just you know, on the back of a napkin. And so calculating based on what you just said, at that rate, using the most conservative number that you gave with no shooting, if you hunted uh, six hours a day for five days in a week, you'd hit your year's noise allowance in, in, those, in those five days. In those five days. Without shooting. Absolutely. If, if you were exposed to that for six hours. Now, the good news is that most of us aren't necessarily in a constant environment you may be out in the blind for six hours you may have a six-hour hunt with you know boat time and all sure, that kind sure. of stuff but here there, right there is the problem george right like you, you you jump out of the truck and you get into all these surface drive motors and um you know all these juiced up you know high-powered engines not everyone's running a quiet four-stroke yamaha right um and you may be you may be, you may have like a chainsaw winch up on the front and you're pulling yourself over some levees. And it's like, before you even get a decoy wet, you've already exposed yourself to probably just on the boat ride, uh, to your daily noise allowance. If you don't have hearing protection in, and, um, and to me, I think that's some of the, some of the worst stuff that's really hurt a lot of, at least down here in the South, uh, in a lot of these big public areas, Arkansas, West Tennessee, and man, you can hear these surface drive motors 
a couple miles away and you know and they're driving oh, wow. through these through the woods and you know it's all the big races from the from the boat ramp and um I, they just I, I think I think there's a whole lot of noise that's going on in the woods that that you know 10 20 30 years ago uh, just wasn't there that these ducks just don't settle and get comfortable and they just kind of get out of the area but that's just one guy's opinion right here but did you guys do any in the truck studies in the truck well uh not necessarily just for noise but we did in the truck studies uh where do most where do most especially most young guys where do they practice blowing that call while they're driving that's exactly what i mean <laughs> with the window up and they're just wailing away uh in this you know in this highly reverberant chamber where where sound is bouncing off all kinds of hard glass if you have cloth seats you get a little bit of sound absorption with stuff like that Leather seats are going to reflect a little bit more, but there's not a lot of places for those sound waves to just kind of get absorbed. And you got, you know, windows up and you're practicing your calling routine. Um, that's absolutely murder on your ears. I mean, the, the, the amount of self-inflicted, I've always wondered like what, here's this one. I think you and I have talked about this before, George, you know, I got a, I got a pretty solid handful, if not two handfuls of questions that uh, I hope to God when it's my day to meet the good Lord, that I'm going to ask him some questions on, you know, why'd you do this or why'd you do it this way? And uh, one of those questions that I would love to ask God, if I had I got to have lunch with Jesus type thing, right, is why are there no pain receptors in the ear? It's the only place really in our body that we can't sense true pain. And, you know, the idea of, and look what happens when you get hit in the bridge of your nose or kicked in the shin or kicked anywhere else, uh, you know, and, and, it, and it creates a pretty visceral reaction and a pretty painful reaction. Well, there's, there's no pain receptors in the inner ear. And so a lot of that pain tells us to stop doing something, right? If we, if we start to take a, a knife out of a sheath uh, or put a knife into a sheath and all of a sudden we got a bunch of pain in our in the palm of our hand we immediately stop doing what we're doing because we know that something's not going right and I'm, and I'm cutting myself right or you know you try to yep you try to work through an injury and you try to or you get a, a, a sports injury you get it to lifting or you get like you fill in the blank you get it like we often push our bodies to the absolute max and it's that pain which is usually the stopping point for a lot of the dumb stuff that uh I'll even say particularly males do. And so, but there's no pain receptors in the inner ear. So there's nothing to really tell us that we've gotten to the point of, you know, uh, you just knocked your tooth loose. You hit it so hard or it got hit so hard. Right. Or, um, and so that's where a, an awful lot of continual damage comes from. And I'm talking about the inner ear nerve fibers and the early parts of where that nerve connects up with the brain uh, is just no, yes, we have pain receptors in our ear canal and we have some pain receptors in our eardrum. If we burst our eardrum or you poke a Q-tip or you're doing something, you know, dumb that you shouldn't be doing uh, down in your ear canal, like that type of skin has pain, but like the nerve fibers that really are the, the filter mechanisms of how we get sound 
from our inner ear up to our brain. Uh, and that's, that's exactly what it is. It's a, it's no different than a, any other filter that you and I are used to an oil filter or a fuel filter or an air filter. And we know that once that filter gets plugged up, whatever is on the back side of it, whatever engine uh, is on the back side of a plugged up filter uh, is is being sacrificed. And for us two-legged creatures, that filters our brain. And the ear is the is the number one and best gateway of stimulation. 24 7 365 of sending stimulation up to our brain and how our brain is constantly 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 reacting to sound in our world even when we're in our deepest sleep you know the idea of why you can fall asleep in the in the air conditioning or the furnace can kick on uh there can be you can fall asleep with the tv running you can fall asleep with a, a noise machine or a sleep machine that you have run in, and your brain doesn't pay any attention to that. But then all of a sudden, the doorbell rings, the baby cries, the dog barks, the alarm clock goes off. Uh, you know, your your spouse gets up and uses the bathroom. Uh, your brain will hear those types of noises, and it and it reacts, and it, and it wakes you up. But just because the furnace kicks on, that has no meaning to it. Well, your brain has to listen. Your ear has to get the sound, send it to your brain, and your brain has to decide whether or not this that this new input, this new stimuli has any relevant value. And the furnace kicking on in the middle of the night, so you get some heat, has no relative value compared to the car alarm in your driveway going off. And so that's... Once we screw up that filter bank in the inner ear and it, and it can no longer send those delicate types of messages, the brain can't make, it has a hard time making relevant decisions. And most often that shows up in speech, right? And so, um, oh, I always get to the, the old joke I've heard of a million times where, you know, that one old guy comes and joins another old guy on the park bench. And the one, the first guy sitting there says, you're late. He says, Oh, I'm sorry. Is that the doctor? I got some new, got some new hearing aids. The other guy says, what kind are they? And the first, and the guy that just sat down, picks his arm up, looks at his arm, looks at his watch and says, it's 10 after two. <laughs> and so wah, 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 wah. that's what all your listeners are doing right now but, um, it, most often that broken filter bank comes out in in a in a speech signal that is very hard if not impossible to understand because the because all of those gunshots and motors and loud calls and chainsaws and lawnmowers and leaf blowers and table saws and music across the life have created damage on that in that filter bank. And um, man, the waterfaller just seems to be the most at risk, not seems to be, unquestionably is the most at risk and seems to be the most willing to to try to absorb that risk, right? They try to, they think that, oh it's it's not going to happen to me or the the bigger problem 
and this is exactly why we started the company, George, is that most waterfallers will not put something in their ear because of three reasons. They can't blow their calls and make it sound right. They can't hear, you know, can't hear their buddies during the hunt, can't hear what's going on around them, can't hear the jokes and can't hear the blind commands and can't hear like, you know, just simple little, right? (laughs) To your left, to your left. And, right. And, uh, and they can't hear, they can't hear the birds working. They can't hear that first honk over the tree line. They can't hear the, the teal ripping across them or your cool experience with, uh, with your flock of wood ducks last year that you were telling me about, you know, and, uh, and they know that they know that all the noise that's associated with duck hunting isn't good for their, they know it intuitively in their heart of hearts. They know that they're trying to cheat the system. Um, and most of us, if you just look down to the end of the blind and you look at your granddaddy and your uncles and your dad, uh, or maybe your maybe your aunts, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be. It's just usually a bunch of guys that we see down at the end of those duck blinds these days. Uh, you know the story doesn't end well because you know how bad granddaddy can't hear and you know how... Uh, and a lot of that's, yes, it's everything across life, but a lot of it is because he was duck hunting, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 days for, you know, 30 or 40 years. And um, the story just doesn't end well. And my experience has been, you know, the first time I ever went out deer hunting and, and shot a deer, my ears rang for three weeks. And I thought, wow, that's just crazy. I mean, it's... You know, your regular 30-30 rifle, shot it from a good position in a tree stand. But, you know, I just brushed it off. I was like, well, yeah, you know, you take one shot a year, what's it matter? And then I started waterfowl hunting. And I remember one of the first things people told me to do at the beginning was, you know, practice blowing your call on the way to work or on the way home from work in your car. So I remember like the second or third day of doing that. Like, I was totally spaced out. I had headaches. My ears were ringing. Everything just seemed dull. I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. This is this is a terrible idea. And then I remember going out uh, a few early duck hunts. We took a couple shots. And I remember my ears ringing for days. And then I remember the hunt that did it. I was out, shot a half a box of ammo solo that day. And I remember I got back to the car. I was on my way back to the car, and a whole a whole V of uh, of mallards was just flying over top. Um, and I was like, "Well, hey, you know, if the birds are coming to me, I remember raising my gun and not wanting to shoot because my ears were ringing so bad from the half a box of ammo I had shot that day." And, and everything that I had done, I remember sitting there not pulling the trigger because I just didn't want to to keep putting that punishment onto my ears. Now, eventually, I did pull the trigger three times because that's the only way you can do it um, if you miss the first one. Uh, but I remember sitting there going, okay, this is a real problem. Like if I'm hesitating taking a shot because I'm a, I, I've got this reaction to, to what the sound is doing to me. And, and that was the day and the hunt that just drove me in search of a better option. 
And uh, that search is what actually led me right to Tetra, right to you guys, because uh, you were number one with no no close second place. And I was like, oh, thank God somebody has figured this out by now. Um, and I'm not the first one to, to have this kind of situation. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, and th- this would be this would be an interesting little uh, project that we could do, George, is um, your reaction was what I would call much, much more of a, a right brain, a linear thinking type reaction to sound. But what's interesting is that you also came to hunting later in life. Right. Like you didn't you didn't grow up, uh, you know, as a as a five, six, seven, eight, whatever, 10 year old, whenever the first time that you experience particularly your, your first kind of insult of what goes on when a when a group of ducks are lighting down in your decoys. And because um, that's a that's a pretty. That's a pretty crazy few seconds for the first time that you experience that. Uh, I don't care if you're 26 or six. Right. When four, five, six guns stand up and boom, 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 boom. Right. I mean, without anything in your ears, which most people don't have, it can be a very overwhelming experience. And this is this is this is a big part, this core central part of the company is much more about the goal of of changing the conversation and setting a new standard that we don't introduce young kids or first time hunters to any of these sports, uh, the shooting sports without, without some type of proper hearing protection. And, um, but I think what happens particularly with most males uh, is that you kind of get exposed in a lot of our rite of passages spoken or unspoken as young males typically comes with noisy and sometimes often dangerous activities, right? Whether it's the first time you're pushing a lawnmower, first time that you get to, you know, cut that log with the chainsaw under supervision, but, you know, um, first time you get to run a, a weed whacker or a leaf blower or, man, I remember when my son was six, seven, eight years old, like he couldn't wait to get behind that lawnmower and couldn't wait to run. <laughs> you try that at, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, and it changes a little bit. Uh, yeah, something <laughs> happens in there. Yeah. Mostly that other gender happens in there is what I found is the big distraction with that. But yes, you're right. Uh, they've got a whole lot of other activities other than, uh, oh, I'm I'm more like dad because I'm cutting the grass like dad, right? I think as there's a, I think it's one of the beautiful things for boys and girls uh, about about shooting and hunting in particular, but uh, but certainly you know this idea of like when you hand over a firearm, uh, you are you are granted and you have earned a tremendous amount of responsibility from that adult who who gave you that firearm to to shoot at that target and um i think it's an awesome kind of a point of passage into certainly uh a young adulthood if that happens typically if you're you know younger than 10 or something like that um and then i think that even gets elevated when it's done correctly on you know when it 
when the milk jug, uh, you know, uh, off the picnic table in the backyard type thing becomes for your first shot with that 410, uh, when it becomes your first hunt, and now now is an opportunity to to you know to take that life, and the amount of respect and training that needs to come with that, I think, is another big step forward on kind of rite of passage into adulthood. And um, the goal of Tetra is to make protecting your ears, whether or not it's with the Tetra. And, and you know, I don't, I, I get as excited about foam plugs in ears as I do seeing someone wearing a, a Tetra. I mean, uh, it could be a $2,000 Tetra device and a 50-year-old or a set of orange plugs or muffs on an 8-year-old. And I'm going to get a whole lot more excited about that that squirrel hunter has a set of orange plugs when he's out on his first squirrel hunt with his granddaddy. And um, that's how you change the culture, right? And that's how you change but it doesn't doesn't happen in a silo, and that's why we absolutely need guys like you uh, that have these types of conversations and are are willing to set the stage so these things can be talked about. You know, in in a lot of ways, my journey was not typical. I remember as a, as a teenager, probably 14, 15 years old, we were members of a gun club, or my dad was. And uh, took me to a uh, rifle safety course, 22 training, you know. And, um, you know, that led to a brief season where I would go like once a week in the evenings and and to the indoor 22 range. And I would train with, uh, you know, kids that were my age from one of the local rifle teams. And I remember the instructor there, uh, one of the nicest guys ever, older gentleman at that time. Um, but he, he, he didn't, he couldn't talk quite right. And I came to find out he, he had about 10% of his hearing in one ear and none left in the other ear from, from just a lifetime of doing this. And I remember every single time with every single shot that we shot or he shot, he always wore ear protection. And, and I thought it just made such an impression on me. I'm like, well, you've already essentially death and, and you know, you're, you've pretty much lost everything you could lose, but he had learned at some point along the way that, you know, even that little bit that was left, he would fiercely protect and defend it, but just wished that earlier in the journey, he had come to that, that same conclusion when he could have, have preserved more or all of it. And that just left an impression on me that I never really, never really thought about, never really reflected on until years later when I'm out in the woods doing this. And I'm like, oh, man, you you know better than this. Um, But so many people, just like you said, they grow up with the opposite. And and to put ear protection on to go hunting is just so counterintuitive that the thought never enters into their mind. And whenever you suggest that, it's just like just hits a wall like they're not even not even open to the thought it sounds so foreign to them and i just feel like all right we we got to do whatever we can do to make people understand um you know it, it, yes there's a danger to it but i feel like people are not understanding their choices they're making a decision every time they walk into the woods you know if you don't wear hearing protection you you're making a decision and you were assuming a, a variety of risks in doing that. 
And I don't think most people correctly understand the risks and the magnitude of those risks. Because if they did, if they saw the whole picture, a lot of them, not all, but certainly a lot of them would make a different decision. But they're there. They've got this. Oh, well, you know, everybody loses a little bit of their hearing here and there. And, you know, whatever, I'll hunt now and then, you know, while I can. And then maybe someday, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll get a set of hearing aids. It'll be fine. But they don't realize the damage that they're doing and what it costs them. And I feel like if if people understood more of the cost, they would be prompted and motivated to assess the decision differently and, and make a better decision. Boy, you're spot on, George, and you can only hope that that's, you know, um, again, some of the work uh, that we're doing and some of the work that you're doing right now. Um, and, and as far as on the educational side, it's um, it's it's a super interesting little kind of quagmire here, right? And I mean, I can't tell you there's this this group, this kind of vintage group of males that probably... I'd probably say it's upper 60s to 70s to maybe young 50s uh, is kind of, I, I think, where I've heard this the most. And, and I'm telling you, I've, and I've heard it dozens and dozens of times, both before and certainly a, a whole bunch since starting Tetra. Um, but you kind of take this, you know, 60-year-old male, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard them say, if you wore, you know, kind of went down the road that you were just on, man, I sure wish I would have done this 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Nobody was talking about it then. Nobody. Well, first they say there weren't any products available, which is kind of really not true. <laughs> there were stuff out there. Some of it was bad, but it still protected the ear. Uh, but, you know, they say, well, nobody did it. And they go and, and this is the this is the kicker. You were considered a sissy if you wore hearing protection, right? Um, and, and sometimes it's, you know, not quite as, a little more colorful than just sissy. Uh, but, like, you were, it was, it was a, you were less of a man, right? You were a wuss. You were, if you, if you wore hearing protection, you weren't a tough guy. And, like, I, I try to somehow make that make sense, and I just can't. <laughs> like, so, like, I can see... You know, you know, back in the day, probably a little bit more of like when our parents were growing up, it was all about if you wore glasses, you were four eyes. Right. And all the kids would make fun of you. But yet somehow glasses turned into I have multiple sets and I wear them with, you know, different outfits because I like how it, you know, this one gives me like the smart librarian look versus like the sporty look or like, you know, it's like glasses somehow came okay. And I can see about wearing a hearing aid later in life where, you know, most people are like, well, I'm not old enough for a hearing aid because they have this stereotypic view of that it's big and ugly and everyone can see it. And the reality is that everyone ties hearing loss to old age. And of course, nobody wants to be considered old. And so, but if I wear a billboard that says I'm old, like a hearing aid, then then the whole world will know I'm old. And so I can kind of get into that like cosmetics appearance on the hearing aid side. But this idea of you were a sissy if you protected your hearing. And I've heard it, like I said, dozens, if not hundreds of times. And um, 
it's always with kind of the older cohort, older, older, mostly males. Um, but I can tell you there are people that know the exact moment, you know, in a deer blind and they were getting ready to, they're getting ready to shoot, a, you know, a, one deer out the front of the window. I just heard this story last week. It was getting towards the end of the night. They've been, this guy had been watching a whole bunch of deer, mostly doe, load up in the food plot, and was just gonna just was gonna take a doe, fill his doe tag. At the very last second, all of a sudden, all the deer's heads popped up and looked to his right, and sure enough, Aaron in the food pot was a beautiful buck, and so he just brought the rifle from in the front window, turned right when he's on the left side of his redneck blind and stuck just the barrel, just a couple inches of the barrel outside the, the window on the right side, pops off his shot, takes the, takes the buck. He didn't even know it put him on his knees, he said. He didn't even know that he hit it or what happened to the deer, that the impact of that seven mag with that deer rifle only two or three inches outside of the window and how all of that muzzle blast stayed inside that redneck blind and he knows that at that moment when he was 22 years old that his life was his ears and his life were never ever going to be the same and he's got he's 43 and he's got horrible hearing and that was probably absolutely the kickoff if not some things before that but he said i saw he's like i played football for nine years and i've never seen stars like that and so um oh man it, it, it's just simple things. It's if we go back into the duck blind, the difference between there's a there's a very cool law of physics called the inverse square law, which which is what tells us how how, how loud sounds how loud sound can get. And when you when you half the distance to the sound source, you double the intensity of the pressure of that sound source. And so now you think about if you're in a four or five man duck blind and everyone's got their lane that they're supposed to shoot in and all of a sudden the guy next to you swings his gun at a 45 into your lane to maybe shoot a cripple or maybe shoot one trying to get out the backside or something. And too many duck hunters think it's a safe shot as long as somebody doesn't get shot. Right. And the, the, the difference between that barrel sticking directly out of the blind, perpendicular to you, versus him swinging on it at a 45-degree angle where now the barrel is in, in the middle of your lane, he just, he just cut the distance in half to your ear, and that doubles the intensity of the pressure that is now of that shockwave that is now being pushed through your auditory system and it's a simple heat of the moment it's going to go on almost every day somewhere in duck season and guys know exactly the moment that they got their ears blown out almost like soldier almost like if uh if their you know tanks hit or their humvee goes over an ied or and then exactly the moment that that things changed for them 
And, you know, a lot of people, I think they just assume, oh, you know, my hearing will be dulled some maybe later in life. I know a guy, he's, he's about 35, friend of mine, uh, you know, similar kind of situation. He's lost probably 70% in one ear, 30% in the other. Every moment of his life, waking or sleeping, he just hears this loud screeching static and and just tin sounds and half the time he's got you know physical pain in his ears and and he just lives with it every moment of every day nothing nothing that he's tried or has has pursued has really helped it much at all and uh you know i think people think well okay that's it's just you know we'll, we'll we'll lose maybe some of the the upper tonal range or something but you could just be one shot away from living with something like that you know for forever essentially you just there's so many different ways it can go down there's a there's a million stories out there like that what's what's interesting is um from like a big big number healthcare perspective they they still have the 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 uh, percent or millions of uh, U.S. millions of Americans that that report or have hearing loss is in about the mid 30s, about 32 to 34 million. But there's 46 to 48 million who report tinnitus or constant ringing, like what you're just talking about, um, or at least intermittent. It's there more than they notice it daily. Uh, many times during the day is kind of the report that they're looking for. And, and what it does is it tells about the insult that that is exactly, that's the pain version uh, that that system, that that filter bank, those delicate nerve fibers is what I'm calling the filter bank have been, they've been hurt. They've been injured. And it's that sporadic firing where that kind of that crippled nerve fiber is, is trying to, trying to respond to sound and it can't and the brain interprets that sporadic firing as ringing or static or crickets or locusts buzzing hissing humming i mean over 33 years doing this i've heard it described a million different ways and um there's some very very sad stories there's a uh there's a there's a rather high incidence of uh of suicide rates at that tinnitus was one of usually several different uh, disorders, health disorders that were reported um, from a suicide victim. It's uh, I can tell you right now that the number one uh, most compensated uh, injury in the VA system is tinnitus with the amount of noise that that those brave men and women have been exposed to over, uh, over their time in the military. And, and to, to me, it's always been, and kind of how the healthcare practitioners look at it is like, that's the ears response to injury. All right. That's the swollen ankle from when, when you sprain an ankle, right. Um, or, you know, that's, that's the ears version of pain to let you know that, that these nerves, something bad just happened to these nerves. Right. Now, you, you alluded to this uh, already uh, a little bit, but maybe tell us a little bit more about, okay, 
the, the, the ears damaged, the hearing's damaged, those nerves are damaged. You know, you have these uh, acute effects. You know, you lose hearing range, you lose the ability to hear some or all. You've got the ringing, you've got tinnitus. What are some of the other bigger long-term effects that, that this, you know, moderate to severe hearing loss can cause that I don't think are on anybody's radar? Well, a lot of it is, um, are the studies that really started coming out 15, 16 years ago that um, there's a, a couple of very large scale aging studies that were done out of Johns Hopkins and kind of the most prominent one uh, was one called the Baltimore Longitudinal Study on Aging. And um, and what they've been they've been looking at how for the last twenty five years they've been looking at how groups of people uh, and they they would come up with different different groups every ten years. So they started at twenty five and went up to seventy five, and they would try to get um, at least four hundred uh, in different groups at those different ages, and then follow them. For the last 25 years, the number one surprise finding out of that entire study that is still still going and is still the results are still being replicated by many, many more studies is the correlation between midlife hearing loss and kind of, you know, towards the end of older than 65, the incidence of Alzheimer's and dementia. And what they found is that if you had a moderate hearing loss between 35 and 55, that when you were 65 or older, you had a eight to nine times more likelihood that you would have dementia and Alzheimer's at 65 if you had hearing loss between 35 and 55. And so that really goes back to that, that inner ear is it's kind of that delicate filter bank that I was talking about in that if you if you understimulate if there's hearing loss present in the inner ear and those nerve fibers are not working that filter system is broken and so some frequencies are being passed up to the brain and other frequencies are not being passed up or they have to be very 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 loud in order for them to kind of overcome those hurt nerve fibers, but your brain is being understimulated by some key important frequencies that you need for speech. And that does two things. You're physically not stimulating the brain like it should. So the amount of chemical releases and the, just how the neurons process sound and, and how every sound that you have heard me speak over the last hour or so your brain is interpreting, it started as a frequency and it turned into electrical code in your ear. And that electrical code was sent up to your brain and your brain is interpreting that electrical code right now as I'm going, right? And if the, all of a sudden those electrical codes are 30, 40, 50% missing, now your brain is constantly trying to work overtime to figure out what in the heck is being said because I'm only getting 50% of the information. And so the, the, the bad part, and this is where uh, this is one of the big components of where they're tying hearing loss to 
things like Alzheimer's and dementia and short-term memory loss and what we call cognitive processing disorders, how the brain functions, is you're understimulating it and you're making it work two, three, four, five times harder. And think about what you do. You know, you could drive your truck or SUV around town all day and uh, and you get whatever, 20, 25, 22 miles to the gallon. And then you put a six, 7,000 pound boat behind it and drive it around on the weekend. <laughs> and all of a sudden your gas mileage drops from 22 to 12 because you're making, it's a higher, it's a higher load. You're making that engine work harder. It's less efficient. You, you make, it takes more horsepower and burns more gas. That's exactly what's going on inside of our brain when you have 40% hearing loss and you go up to the Mexican restaurant and all you hear is the distracting noise and your spouse or your friend sitting across the table from you, their one little voice is getting lost in all of the cacophony and noise that's going on around you. And so there's really two, it's, it's, it's what we call sound deprivation and then what we call cognitive load theory that you are the understimulation causes an additional load on the brain. And all of that is what kind of sets up to build different proteins and plaques and kind of the fundamental things of which are the, the building blocks uh, for early Alzheimer's and dementia and stuff like that. Uh, makes perfect sense to me. God designed the brain to get constant input from the ears and you damage that input and now the brain's trying to compensate and just like towing that boat, you start having things wear out and build up and wear and tear that you wouldn't have had. And Oh man, yeah, it's just, it, it makes perfect sense. Here's the exciting part. Right? Like I, I hate, I'm not, I'm not afraid to have the dark conversations and kind of the heavy conversations, but I always, uh, here's, here's the exciting part of all of that research and what has continued to unfold is um, it's not just the presence of hearing loss. So I, I probably, now I think back, I kind of misstated that a little bit. It's not the presence of hearing loss. It's the level of hearing acuity that your, that your brain has in its, in that midsection between 35 and 55. So what, what the heck does that mean? What the, the, this is the, the cool news is that they found a whole bunch of people that had hearing loss in their 40s and their 50s. And if you wore a hearing aid, you weren't, you didn't, you weren't in that group of Alzheimer's and dementia in your 60s. And so if you were stimulating the brain, it's exactly what you just said. God designed it. Uh, it's a magnificent system on how it works between the ear and the brain. Uh, and as long as you are stimulating it through the use of a hearing device, typically, that's not the only way. You can, you can overcompensate for hearing loss by several things. You can turn the TV way up, right? Well, now your brain's not hurting as much for sound. Nobody in the house wants to watch TV with you anymore, right? <laughs> so, uh, right. In, in, and so you have some socialization issues at that time, but the problem, I mean, there, there are things that you can do. You can avoid 
noisy, complex listening environments and not put your brain under such such stressful. Well, think of what's going on between 35 and 55, right, George? It's the busiest time from career and family and the passions that we chase. It's the busiest time of our life. So we are in more complex, noisy situations. And that's the kind of the third part of the whole understimulation of the brain, that if you're you know, 60, 65 years old, and you've got 30, 40, 50% hearing loss, and you're not wearing a hearing device, then chances are going out into socially engaging situations, parties, receptions, restaurants, doing all the fun stuff that you used to do when you were younger, you stop doing it. You become more isolated. Now you that isolation kind of changes your personality. Now you're not as fun to be around. Now you're the grumpy old man in the corner type thing. And now you become that social social isolation becomes withdrawal. And withdrawal becomes depression. And it's just this big, you know, cognitive snowball uh, that really all kind of starts with I can't hear well, so why should I go out and engage? I get frustrated, I get mad, I get it's I get exhausted. I have to try so hard. Everyone's laughing at the joke and I and I keep having to ask them to repeat what was said. And so it's a very for something that we take so for granted, if we're blessed to be born with with normal hearing, you just absolutely take it for granted of the impact that it has in your life. And um, man, in two days, uh my my little guy, my first grandson, first grandchild that was born is going to be one years old here on October 5th. And um, and to watch, uh, you know, certainly to stand back at 55 and kind of have the wisdom. I may have had the knowledge at 28 when I had my first child, but I think there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? <laughs> And to stand back and look over the last year at how this child has developed uh, in the speech and language that he is developing almost every day and how that's entirely based on his hearing. You can can learn to communicate and you can certainly learn sign language as a, you know, as a six month old and you can learn you know, to watch, you know, without any hearing or with a bunch of hearing loss, not all babies are, are blessed to be born with, with good ears and good hearing. And, um, and there's ways that you can certainly develop, but it's, man, it's an uphill battle from the very beginning because, you know, the, your, your ears are what allow you to learn and acquire speech and language and speech and language is the, the, the foundational building block for education. It's how you learn new stuff across your life most effectively. Um, again, not that it's, it's impossible to, to, to be highly educated and hearing impaired or deaf. It's just, it's a very, very, very different and much more difficult track for that individual than, uh, than a typically developing normal hearing child. And boy, I didn't ever think that we would uh, get to talking about one-year-old babies on a duck hunting <laughs> podcast. Like it, it's it's just amazing how it's all tied together. And so you 
you give me a runway and uh, and I'll end up down the end of the runway somehow, George. So. <laughs> well, you know, one of my favorite parts of this story, Bill, is that you, you, you have all this information, you have all this education, you have all this professional experience and hunting experience and life experience and family experience. And you did more with it than just, uh, you know, go on podcasts to share it. You built a company from the ground up to take everything you had learned and try to apply it in the smartest, best, most advanced way possible to change the game of the hunting industry. Why don't you tell us just a little bit here about Tetra and, and what you guys do and, and the products and just what's so special about it, if I don't tell the whole story first. Well, I'll tell like the things that I think that just kind of tie together and try to put a little bow on it um, compared to the, the cool conversations that we just had. And what what was very much missing, and particularly for the waterfall hunter, was the ability to put something in your ear and to have a, a very good, very normal, very natural, or a corrected hearing experience while you're hunting so that you can do everything that you want to do. You can hear everything that you want to hear, and you may be able to hear it better because we're correcting for any loss that is already there. And the dang thing is in your ear when the fun time of trigger pulling starts so that you're fully protected. And, and honestly, we didn't start off necessarily with the intention to make a better protective device. We started off uh, with very strong intentions on let's make a, a, a superior listening device that then protects the ear when the bang goes off and the triggers are pulled. And that led into us being able to create what we call pursuit-based hearing systems. And so, because we know that, George, what you need right now in October as a duck hunter is completely different than what you need next April as a turkey hunter. And, and right both on a hearing on a hearing standpoint and a protective standpoint. And so uh, we really went back and, and looked at things that we have been doing for 20 or 25 years in the, in the musician industry. And now if you look on stage or you look on any, any video, anything, any, any musician or any artist is wearing something in their ear. And I think, most people think that that thing in their ear is about protecting and it's about hearing protection. And it's really, really, really not. The, the musician in the ear monitor is, is built and designed for performance enhancement. And that idea is that whether you're the lead singer or the guitar player or the bass player or the drummer, that what you need to hear and how you want to hear either your own voice or the backup singer's voices, or or how you want to hear the guitar, if you're the guitar player or the drummer, that all of those devices are fine-tuned to give them a very optimized experience of what they need to hear. And, and we fixed that about 20, 25 years ago with musicians um, and having ear-level products that are highly specialized for their performance on stage or in the recording studio. And that's why now almost all artists are wearing something in their ear. And it's about their performance 
not necessarily about protecting themselves. Well, we kind of just took that, you know, that theory, that, that known evidence and said, well, an upland pheasant hunter in South Dakota needs to hear things different than the goose hunter in Iowa, right? And that the turkey hunter in the springtime needs to hear things different than the bow hunter in the fall. And we built very, very specific devices with specific formulas to amplify the sounds by those different pursuits of hearing. What you need to hear as a competitive trap shooter is very, very different than what you need to hear as a competitive sporting clay shooter. And there are things that we can, there are sounds of those pursuits that we can, we've identified and that we can either specifically enhance we can specifically minimize and um and it's really just been it's it's been bigger than i ever imagined george like it's just uh the amount of feedback that we get every day from customers um it's just amazing uh, about that they never thought they'd be able to do what they're doing again because of their hearing or more importantly, is really like the 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 young guy. We got a an email last Friday from a, a guide over in Arkansas, and he said that he hunted with you know three of his clients last year. Came in all in different episodes, and we're all wearing tetras, and we're all talking about it, and all had a great experience. He said, "You don't know how badly I wanted this to work, but in, in the back of my head, I thought." I'll never be able to blow the call and work the call like I need to. And, and in his note, he said, dang, was I wrong. And like, this is everything <laughs> and, and stuff like that. Like you just, there's not, I'm telling you when my, when my guys in the office get this, like they can't wait to come. They're like, look at this, look how cool this is. And I, I, I mean, there's, there's not a dollar value you can put on that. I mean, for me, but what's so cool is that when all the customer service, uh, all, all four of them here at Tetra, uh, uh, you know, when they see it and they get excited about it and they share it amongst themselves and cause they're more, they're more vested and bought into it than, uh, than the guy who invented it all. So, Oh, it's awesome. And it works so well. I love hearing you tell the story. Um, it, it works so well. Like this past turkey season, I was sitting in the turkey blind. I got one of those, you know, 360 degree blinds so you can see all kind of stuff around you. And once I settled in, you know, I crank them up and I'm sitting there and I watched a sparrow land on the ground at about 15 feet away from me and, and, and pecked at some leaves. And it sounded so crisp and so like, I mean, it was so loud all the, all the sounds that were, were being amplified from that little bird, you know, if there had been a turkey at 60 yards that blinked, I would have heard it. I mean, it was just absolutely amazing. And then I'm out duck hunting, and you alluded to the story earlier, um, but the people listening didn't hear me tell it. And I'm sitting there in the blind, it's early in the morning, and I heard what sounded like 
uh, you know, a bunch of helicopters coming in from a distance. And I'm looking up, trying to figure out what is going on, what's up there. And it was a flight of wood ducks going over top, maybe 60 yards up. Just the sound of their wings was so amplified and I could hear it coming from a distance before I could see it. But since it's set to waterfowl mode, it's blocking out all those sounds of those squirrels jumping around on the dry leaves and, and those things that are of no value to hear when you're waterfowl hunting. So the distractions are eliminated, but the sounds that you want to hear are just crisp and, and amplified and just, you know, coming in beautifully. Uh, I found myself, Bill, last Saturday, when we, before we were recording this show, I was in the deer blind. And I was in, it was a long day. I was in 6 a.m. to, to 6.30 p.m. And I was bow hunting. And I didn't have my Tetris in because I thought, well, I'm bow hunting. And right around 5.30, 6 p.m., I started hearing some stuff around me. I mean, just so faint. And I remember sitting there going, wow, do I wish I had my Tetris with me. Because I could set it to deer and I'd be able to hear... Uh, just just more acutely and more precisely and more clearly what that movement is and exactly where it is. And, and I'd know how to position myself and how to turn and, and what to look for. And uh, thankfully, Buck ended up stepping out eventually before it got dark and, and I got to take him home. But I remember sitting there having anxiety like, man, I could hear so much better if I had the Tetris in while I was archery hunting. And my hearing's great. You know, it's not like there, there's something to compensate for, but the job that they do, and I think this is what people don't understand is, yeah, you can hear everything that's going on around you and you can hear it great and you can understand that. You put these devices in your ear and you can still hear amazingly. And then you pull the trigger and it turns that magnum shotgun load through a ported choke tube into something that sounds more like a BB gun. And, and you can sort of get that concept but then the magic is just how you guys have, have built it with these audio algorithms to isolate the, the game animals and what you want to hunt. And you change that setting to that animal. And now all of a sudden you have an advantage over yourself, over every other hunter in the woods to be able to hear things clearer from further away to, to pick up on sounds that you're, you wouldn't have picked up on before. And uh, it's, it's, it's just the most amazing product from a, a protection standpoint to a, a improvement and enhancement standpoint. And uh, I just can't stop talking about it. Anywhere that I go, anybody that I'm talking to, I just look for opportunities to, to bring it up and tell it to people and just tell the story. And every single person is just blown away that something like this exists and how did they not know about it? And, uh, you know, Bill, you guys are doing some amazing work there. It really is amazing. And I'm just so excited that, that you know, we can do shows like this and, and help people. I'm so thankful for, for that older gentleman at the Rifle Club when I was a kid that I learned that lesson from his misfortune of hearing loss that that really helped me years later, even though I, I, I didn't know it at the time I was learning a lesson. But... Uh, it just made me appreciate things and be sensitive to things that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. And then as soon as I discovered Tetra and, and the work that you're going, it was just like all these dots connected. And I was just like, wow, finally, the answer. We've got it. Uh, it's just amazing stuff. Well, your your words are kind and, and gracious, my friend. And um, 
and and I'm not afraid to to be on this and certainly I'm never bashful of uh of calling you a friend and it's 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 because you get it and you're you're willing to have the conversation when generations and generations of people didn't hear the conversation and so that's the important part uh you know right now we're very blessed to have uh an incredible technology um but the mission is you know that george the mission is so much bigger uh than selling the widget um and if we can just if we can if 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 people listening to this just carry it you know uh, on their hip back of their mind for a while and kind of realize and take inventory that they're just they've been trying to cheat the system and um uh, and they've been exposing themselves to too too much loud noise and it's, it's kind of like the classic you know uh you know driving around without a seatbelt or or you know some of the drinking and driving and drinking and driving under the influence that used to go on where i mean those things we've made great strides and great improvements across society from a, a health and safety and a wellness aspect right um I doubt either one of us came home buttoned up in a rear-facing car seat as an infant from the hospital. I know I didn't. I know where I was sitting. It was right on, <laughs> right on mom's lap, right? Like, uh, and now, you know, my, my youngest is turning 20 tomorrow. And, uh, and, and my kids don't know what it's like to be in a moving vehicle without a restraint on. Um, and, and so like, that's kind of the level, what we did is we designed a great product to put in your ear. So there's no sacrifices. You've got no excuse to not be protecting your ear, but the most important thing is to protect the ear. And, uh, and like I, like I said, every time that we onboard a new employee, the the number one thing we drive home is we never ever ever say anything negative say throw any shade on any other type of hearing protective device if it's in your ear we do nothing but high fives and knuckles with you right uh if it's in your blind bag and you never use it because you don't know you don't like how things sound and you can't hear the stuff that you want to hear we're happy to have a conversation on how we can fix that. But um, if muffs or orange foam plugs are working fine for you, uh, that makes us nothing but excited. And uh, we will always be here for whoever wants to have a better hearing experience. And I just, I can't, I can't thank you enough. Uh, this, the, the change doesn't happen if there's not, if there's not guys and gals out there like you, George. So, uh, so bless you. Thank you. You know, I, Bill, I long for the day when we can turn these stats upside down. So instead of 86% of hunters not using hearing protection, we've got 86% of hunters who are using it. And and just flip this thing around and upside down. Uh, if you guys listening are interested in, in learning more about Tetra or... Um, you know, getting more information. I have done a series of reviews. I have done 
uh, written reviews. I have done podcast reviews. I have done video reviews. I will link them in the show notes of this episode on the website, newhuntersguide.com. Also, Bill has been so gracious to, to give us a discount code so you guys can get 10% off your order. Um, if you're, you know, reach the point where you decide you want to get a pair of Tetras, that's on the website too in the show notes and in all those uh, different review articles. But there's a lot more information available to hear more and learn more. And, and I've, I've put these things through the paces and uh, I've been using them for, oh man, coming up on three years at this point in one form or another. And this coming Saturday, I'll be going out for opening day of duck season here in Pennsylvania, and I'll have a pair of custom shields in my ears, which I bought with my own money, and uh, i just absolutely thrilled with everything that Tetra has done and is doing, and uh, Bill, I just want to ask if you have anything left on your heart, any anything hanging out there that you want to mention or or make sure that we fit in today? Well, on, on that note, what you just said... Uh... You don't, you don't take my word from it. You don't have to take George's word for it. Uh, although you'd be, you'd be crazy not to believe either one of us, but our thing is hearing is believing. And we, we purposely have it where there's zero risk. Uh, if you're, if you're willing to give it a shot, um, and you, you make the plunge and, and get a set of Tetris for your ear, it is a 100% risk-free um, opportunity for you. And so if my, my expectation is that you will say, this is the best thing I've done for myself in a long time. And if you're not there, we work our tail off to get you there. Uh, and in the rare occasion that we just can't get to your expectations, or I don't care if a, if a tree falls on your truck and you need a thousand dollar deductible, uh, you can return it um, and you get 100% of your money back. It doesn't matter how much custom work we've done uh, or how much custom programming. And so we truly try to, we'll take on all the risk. Uh, I couldn't be more proud. We're just past our fourth birthday. Um, we launched, commercially launched in, uh, in 2019 We've got um, a little over 16,000 devices out in the field, and, and we're, we're sitting on less than a 3% return for credit rate. And so that's a factor that I'm, I'm very proud of, actually, to be completely honest and transparent with you, because uh, it's an investment, and I get it, and it's, it's money. Uh, and in today's kind of funky world of you really don't know what's going on one day to the next. Uh, when you invest in yourself, I want you to know that we are a thousand percent behind you and uh, you, you will be completely pleased. We fix you or your money back. So love it. And, and I'll just answer real quick. Some of the frequently asked questions that people ask me all the time that you might be thinking right now. Uh, if you have an HSA, usually you can use HSA funds towards them or to purchase them. Uh, it's possible, depending on your insurance plan, there may be some other help available to you there, but you'll have to talk with people that know more about it than I do. A lot of people ask the question, you know, what happens if they get wet? Well, Bill has said that they are hunt proof and they're designed to work in any situation that you might hunt, whether that's raining in waterfowl season or even if you drop them in the marsh, most of the time you dry them out and 
they'll come back and work just fine. If not, they'll work to fix them and repair them. And even if something is, is catastrophically fried on the inside, replacement parts are available. Um, even if it costs some money to get them, then they're usually you know relatively inexpensive related to the cost of the device. So it's not the kind of thing where you know if you get caught in a downpour, well then you know you're 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 out of this thing. Um, you know they are engineered for that, and they've got a service team and department that's just in a lab that'll that'll work to get them working. They, even if you mess them up, they they've got this thing figured out. Uh, and yes, they filter out wind noise unbelievably well to the point where sometimes uh, you have to take them out of your ears to figure out if it's windy because <laughs> they they can just take so much of the wind noise out. You don't even know it's blowing unless you can feel it on your face. And so, um, you know, just some great stuff there. Uh want to thank you guys so much for listening today. Make sure you head to the website, newhuntersguide.com. Find the show notes. Find the links to all the other information of stuff I've put together over the last couple years to help you learn more. Find that discount code there if you're interested in it. Uh, thank you so much, Bill, for being with us today. I really appreciate you, my friend. Big thank you, George. Uh, blessings to you and, and all your listeners. I, I hope you have a, an amazing first couple hunts and a great and a safe season. And uh, thank you for, for being a torchbearer with us. Absolutely. And many ducks to you. And uh, let's get that number of, of ears that are protected up into the, the 20s and 30,000s as quickly as we can to, to try to set this thing right. Guys, thank you so much for listening today. Really appreciate you. Till next time, God bless you and go get them in the woods.